Romans 12, Romans 12, beginning in verse 14. Yeah, I want you to stand up. I'll read the Bible, the Word of God, and then we'll look at it together. We'll pray and then look at it together. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to both give us understanding Open our eyes, help us to believe the word, to have faith in what we see here this morning, in the one who speaks it. Father, give us power to live this out. God, give us grace not to retaliate, not to curse, not to be bitter or angry. But Father, help us to show mercy as you have shown mercy to us. In Christ's name, amen. Maybe seated. <clears throat> you know, I think it's interesting that as um, Paul says these things, that he just kind of does it in rapid-fire action. So you, you start up in verse 9, you know, the love, the brotherly love continue, you know, serve the Lord with zeal, uh, show hospitality, uh, be patient in trials, um, be constant in prayer, uh, and then all of a sudden you got blessed those who persecute you. You know, and, and it's a bit jarring when you think about it because it assumes that we'll be persecuted, you know, which is, is really probably not the case for most of us at the level that Paul is talking about. You know, when, when the word persecute means someone launches a vicious attack to harm you and your family. Right now, there are many places in the world in which this would be a very real reality. You know, Pastor Samaya, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Grupaka, Pastor Joseph, those guys in India that we minister to, um, Christians in North Africa, Indonesia, Middle East, and China. That's an expected reality. But for most of us, we would literally be shocked and appalled and ready to retaliate with fierce rage dare someone would actually attack us, Okay. Now, now, most of the time, you know, passages like this, it's almost like Paul is talking about hitting a 95-mile-an-hour fastball from a professional pitcher, okay? And what I'm talking about is we got the tee set up, and we're like hacking away at it, you know? Um, because really what, what we're talking about, what most of us have experienced, and maybe, maybe you have, I, I, I don't know, but I'm just talking about my own life. 
I, I've not experienced, you know, a launched attack of persecution against my family. No one's ever come in, bust down my door, you know, drug me away to jail, took my possessions, killed my family. That's never happened to me, okay? It happens all around the world, but it's not happened to me. But where we're dealing with today, we're, that, that's kind of the fastball, you know? What we're dealing with is someone spoke harshly to me, right? Someone slandered me. Someone disrespected me. Or someone cheated me out of the bonus at work. Or someone, you know, said lies about me at my job and I didn't get the promotion. Or, or some, right? One, one thing like that. Someone snubbed me. They were arrogant toward me. They were this or that. And, and, and listen, those are all very real things. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not real. I'm not saying they don't apply to this passage. What I'm saying is, Paul is really talking about, hey, do this in this situation. I don't know that that's happened to most of us. But we do have things down here, Right? That are in the same way, that really, if this is true, then man, how much more ought we to apply the principles that Paul is about to tell us? How much more should we apply them to these things that are down here? Again, very real, very real. I'm not saying they're not real, you know, but squabbles in marriage, conflicts with coworkers, hurt feelings at church, they're very real. In fact, so real that they can, if not dealt with rightly and scripturally in the power of the Holy Spirit, if not dealt with, they can bring about divorce and major damage to relationships and families and churches. So absolutely, absolutely do these principles apply to what we're about to talk about. Now, what we see in the scriptures is that there is an expectation that some of these things will happen, okay? So if we go into the gospel, in in the gospel of John, Jesus says this, okay, to his, his disciples. He says in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Okay, so if they persecuted me, then and you're in Christ, and you're a servant of mine, and you're like me, and you live like me, and you're on my mission, then so will they persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. All right, so Jesus basically lays it out that, you know what, you're going to be treated in a very similar way that I was treated. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 gets even more specific, right? Right to the point. Paul says in verse 12 of 2 Timothy 3, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, okay? So there is an assumption there. Now, whether it's happened to you or not, or me or not, you know, for whatever reason, yet, praise God. But listen, it is an assumption in the Bible that those hard, difficult things will and may happen, all right? Now, here comes the heart of the question. So Paul is telling us, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He's telling us, don't repay evil for evil. He's saying, leave it to the wrath of God. And so let me just ask you a question just to begin our discussion together. How do you react when someone curses you? So, I mean, hopefully that didn't happen this morning. Hopefully you didn't get gas and, and you got into a confrontation and you got cursed at. I, I hope it didn't happen. I hope it didn't happen this week. But, but maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But listen, the, the question on the table, how do you react when someone curses you? You're saying, well, what does that mean, someone curses Now, you know what that means, right, when someone curses you? you, you I can't give examples in church, right? You know, but, but they, 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 are, they are angry with you and so they say things that imply that you're worthless, that you are stupid, a fool, piece of trash, dung, okay? Now, how do you respond when that happens? If that happens, what is your response? Let's go even further. Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, Repay no one 
evil for evil, but give thought to do what is... I lost my place. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Okay, now, now evil. So don't repay evil for evil, implying that someone has done something evil to you. Right now, now evil is not just like, you know, they cut you off in traffic. I had a lady in the last service say, you know, that happened to me. I got cut off in traffic. You know, that, that's really not evil unless they're actually like trying to run you off the road. That, that could happen, I guess. You know, they're, they're angry at you. And so they're pulling up and trying to, trying to get you off the road and cause harm to you. Maybe, maybe that would apply. But th- this is like someone is actually maliciously out to do you major harm. Okay. That's what evil is. Okay. And so how would you or how do you respond when someone does? something evil to you. Now, I I think I can just answer for us. We're not all going to take a poll here, but let me just answer for us together. Unless there is something supernatural, something that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit happening inside of us, enabling us to do something different, unless that, then let me just answer. We respond by cursing them back, either outwardly or inwardly. We would respond by, by revenge by retaliation, either outwardly or inwardly. Now, I say outwardly or inwardly because there's a reality. Some of us, some of you, some of us may be self-controlled enough that we're able to stand there and be cursed at and hold it all back and not do anything outwardly. But inwardly, we're cursing, all right? Inwardly, we're angry. And we're, we're just biding our time. What we really do is go ahead and put that in our belt for ammunition, you know? And we're like, you know what? I didn't outwardly respond, and I didn't curse back, but let me tell you, you're going to pay for that one day, right? I'm going to bring that up. I'm, I've got it there in my belt. And let me tell you, you're going to hear about this again, all right? It's not going away. I got it here, and you're going to hear about it again. I'm just not going to do anything right now. Now, that, that's really not what, you, what he's talking about here. Okay, he's not saying do that. That, that, There's nothing spiritual about that. There's nothing spiritual about, hey, you know what? I'm not going to respond now because of the consequences that might come upon me if I respond in evil, but I'm going to bide my time and wait till I can take my shot and get away with it. Okay, that's not supernatural. Okay, now most of us under our own flesh are going to respond just like that. Okay, boiling on the inside, imagining ways that that someone can pay for their sin against us, dreaming of all the bad things that we secretly hope happen to them because they sinned against us. Now, why do I say, unless the Spirit intervenes, we're all going to respond that way because we're all sinners, okay? That is the way that sinners respond. When, When a sinner is cursed... He responds with cursing. When, he, when, he, when someone is evil to him, he responds by doing evil back. We are bent that way. But here's what I know about the people, some of the people in this room, in our second service, in our first service. Here's what we know. Some of you have been impacted by the mercy of God. Okay, now let's get, our, let's get our, our, our context here, okay? So you remember the first 11 chapters of Romans. First 11 chapters of Romans, what do they tell us? They tell us uh, how, how God has saved us through Jesus Christ. They tell us the work of redemption, the work of, of grace, the work of mercy through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 12, here comes the application. Here's how we live that out, okay? So chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. All right, so what is he saying? He's saying, I'm talking to a people who are right now standing in God's mercy, sitting in God's mercy, surrounded by God's mercy. All right, now, now, now think about that. That's some of you. That's me, right? I was an offender. You were an offender. 
We offended God. We struck out against God. We lashed out against God. We dishonored God. We disrespected God. Not just God, but we've all sinned against others. We, we've, been, we've been cruel. We've been neglectful. We've, we've harbored anger. We have sinned against others and we've sinned against God. And what did God do? He did not give us immediate justice. He did what? Mercy, right? You didn't pay for your sin. You didn't go to hell. The wrath of God was not on you. Why? Because you are a person who has received mercy. Now, what Paul is saying here in chapter 12, I appeal, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. We are those people. We stand in mercy. We've, we've not been given justice. We've not been given wrath. We've not been given hell. We've been given grace and kindness and blessing and salvation and riches and eternal life forever and ever. And so Paul says, by the mercies of God... Present your bodies a living sacrifice, right? Present yourselves to God. Now, how does that work itself out? Well, Paul's telling us, right? He's saying, if you are a person who has been impacted by the mercy of God, then you're going to do these things. You're going to live this out. That's the gospel. So, because we've received mercy, because we deserved wrath, and God intervened, and he sent his own son to live the perfect life and then to die death on our behalf and to give us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, because we have received mercy. That's, that's, that's the context that Paul says, bless those who persecute you. He doesn't say that to everybody. Listen, if Paul were here today, he wouldn't say, I'm not talking to people who don't know Jesus. They can't do anything else but that. But he's saying, but you, believers, chosen ones, who have received the mercy of God. When someone curses you, you bless. When someone is evil to you, you don't repay. You leave it to the wrath of God. You, you, you feed them. You give them. You give them drink. Why? How? Well, several reasons. Number one, because we're living out the gospel. Right? We've been, we were an offender. We've been given mercy. We live in mercy. And now we're giving that mercy to others. That's point number one. Okay, let me give you some more. Point number two, how can we do this? Well, because we have died to sin and self. Now, remember back in Romans 6, okay? Back in Romans 6, we had a baptism in the last service. Miley, uh, Miley Moore was baptized. And what does baptism mean? Romans 6 tells us it means that we, we've been joined to Jesus, right? We're connected to Jesus' resurrection life forevermore. We have the Spirit of God in us. And so when we're baptized, we're telling everybody, the old me is dead and buried, right? The new me is raised up to live in newness of life. And, and Paul describes that newness of life like this. He says in verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. We are dead to sin. We're convinced about sin. We're convinced about grace. We're convinced about Jesus. We are now dead to sin. Now what that means is, is that you can't, as a believer, say, I have the right to sin. You see, whenever we retaliate, what are we saying? Whenever someone does something evil to you and you're like, uh-uh, 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 and you're right back at them, what are you saying? You're saying, because of what was said to me, because of what was done to me, I have the right to retaliate. Now, hold on. If we're, if we're on here with Romans... We don't have the right to sin. None of us have the right to dishonor God. That's what sin is, by the way, right? That's what someone did to you, right? 
when they were evil to you, they dishonored God. Now you're saying, I have the right to be evil to... Whoa, I don't. I died to sin. I'm, I'm joined to Jesus. I don't have the right to not trust Jesus in this. I don't have the right to destroy myself and others. I don't have the right to sin. Not, 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 not only am I dead to sin, but the Bible also says I'm dead to self. Okay, Galatians 2.20. It's a great verse by Paul. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Paul said, man, it's not me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. My life, it belongs to Jesus now, right? So we died to sin, and we also died to self. Now, Now, why is that an important part of our theology when it comes to forgiveness and when it comes to not retaliating, when it comes to blessing those who curse us? Because the reason we must retaliate as a sinner is because me is the big thing in our heart. Okay, now, you remember, I did this about a year or so ago. We had a whiteboard up here. Okay, now, what, what's in our hearts before we come to Christ? Well, big letters, all right? Draw it on the whole whiteboard, me, me, all right? That's what matters. That's what I live for. That's what's important, me. And, and you know what? We might have grown up in church, and so we'll go ahead and take a little pink marker, Pink is, you know, for those things we like, you know. And right in the very corner, down in the bottom, we'll write a little bitty Jesus. Jesus. You know, maybe put a little heart, a little smiley face right there. Yeah. Jesus. But what's it? What's the big thing? Me, okay? Now, we're, go, we're walking through life, and someone curses us, right? We didn't deserve it, and there they are, cursing us. And what do we do? We're like, everything in us wells up and says, how dare you curse me, right? And, and, and even if Jesus is talking, you can't hear him because he's so small. Now, what happens when we come to Christ? Hey, you know what? My life is no longer about me, right? What Paul say? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ, Jesus, who lives in me. And now Jesus is here. And, and in the S of Jesus, I'm going to write me, right? Real little letters because I'm in Christ. And I get everything Christ gets. And I'm an heir. And I'm a son. Right? And, and now when someone insults me, well, it's just a little insult. Right? And my big thing on my plate is how can I honor Christ? So we've died to sin and so. So how, how can we bless when someone curses us? Because we are recipients of mercy. We live. You're right now sitting. If you're a believer, you're sitting, standing, immersed in the mercy of God. It's all over you. And so you can give it to somebody else. Number two, because we've died to sin. We, we no longer say, I have the right to sin. Oh, hey, man, I'm going to sin because I deserve. No, we don't say we don't want to sin. We, we no longer have to defend self. Why? Because we don't live for self. We've died to sin and self. And then point number three this is the big one Paul makes. Verse 19. Beloved, never, never. Did you notice that? Never. That might be worthy of underlining in your Bibles, okay? Never. Because I always think we think, well, usually, but not now, all right? Never, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, now, what, what, did, what did that just tell us? Well, that told us that we are to bless those who curse us. We're not to retaliate. We're not to seek vengeance. We're not to seek our revenge. We're not to give evil for evil. Why? Because God has said he will handle it. 
It's his. Leave it to the wrath of Lot. Leave it. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Leave it to the wrath of God because vengeance is his. Now, here's what's going to happen this morning. Some of you are great helpers. Man, you got to appreciate that. You're a great helper, you know? Hey, hey, and, and, but here's the interesting thing. You're not very interested in helping like with children's ministry and, you know, cooking on Wednesday nights or VBS or, or kids camp coming up. This, man, kids camp tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I think it's going to be down like 95. Cool wave. Isn't that going to be great? You know, and you're like, man, I am not interested in helping God in the mission. But God, I tell you what. That vengeance thing, move over. I will help you with that, okay? Like, you're a helper, but you don't help with the kingdom things. You help with vengeance. You know, whenever someone hurts you, you're like, God, I know you're going to handle this, but not quick enough, not well enough, and just get out of the way and let me help. Okay, here's what God says to you this morning. He does not need your help. Not with that. Now, you want to help with kids, Kim? We can still sign you up. Okay, but he, he does not need your help. In vengeance. I cannot imagine. We'll test this out in just a second. But I cannot imagine reading just a few of the passages in the Bible about the wrath of God. I can't imagine reading even one of those and responding by saying, oh, well, God, you sure are not getting this job done. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine reading about the wrath of God in the scriptures and saying, oh, God, you've really messed that up. That's not that bad. God, you're not taking care of business here. You're not going to bring justice. God, you're not going to do this well enough. I've got to do it. I've got to step in. I've got to make them pay. Man, I can't imagine that. Folks, when, when you think about the wrath of God, you need to think scripturally. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of other voices out there. I've told you before that it's been 25 years, and I still use this on a, on a weekly basis almost. The guy in Kansas City, I cut out the article. It was, I was about 20 years old, and it was an article on hell in the Kansas City Star, and they had all these opinions, what people thought about hell. And I remember this one guy from like Olathe or Overland Park or something, and, and, and he said this. He said, hell is not hot, and no one goes there. You know, and, and I just wanted, I, just, I wish I'd had a chance to talk to him, because I would just say, where are you getting your information you know, I mean, I mean, like, like that's great to just say stuff, but, but, like, how do you know that? Like, you're talking about people's eternity. How do you know that hell is not hot and nobody goes there? Well, I didn't get to talk to him, but I, I'm 99% sure. Here, I, know, I know where he got his information. You see, most many people in our country, in our world, functionally operate as if they are God. Okay, now, now let me tell you how that works. Most people functionally operate like this. They think, well, this is what I think about that. And God and me, we're pretty much alike, you know? And, I, and I'm sure that, that God thinks the same thing because this is what makes sense to me. I mean, literally, that is the way most people operate. Well, this, this is what I think, you know? Well, I think all good people go to heaven. Where'd you get that? Well, I just, you know, that's what I think. And so surely God thinks that too. Listen. Let me tell you a better way to operate. These are the inspired scriptures. They're the inspired word of God, Holy Spirit inspired, written uh, over, over centuries with hundreds of prophecies confirmed over thousands of years and verified, here's the trump card for me, verified by the one man in the history of the world to die, raise again, and ascend into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God. I'm gonna listen to that guy. What does he say about the wrath of God? Let's look. Revelation 14. 
These are just a couple passages. Verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name, I cannot imagine reading that and saying to myself, God is not doing a good job with justice. I just don't think you can get there. Second Thessalonians 1. Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. He's talking about this very same thing. People who have hurt you. Okay, what does he say? Hey, God, God will handle this. Verse 7, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. One more, Mark 9. If your hand causes you to sin, this is Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now my friends, if you can read those passages and say God is not doing a good job. I don't know. I can't figure you out. Because when I read those, I tremble at the thought of eternal torment in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. God will indeed punish sin. He does not need your help. He doesn't need it. There is sufficient punishment for sin. So here's the real question. Do you trust God? You know, every time you're hurt, every time you're slandered, every time you're offended, every time you're, you're criticized, every time you're reviled, every time you're cheated, every single time, it, it's all going to come down to this. Do you trust Him? Should you trust Him? Man, Peter, Peter says, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Will God do what he said? Man, 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, committing them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, one family, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, the entire world, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials and to keep the unrighteous 
under punishment until the day of judgment. My friends, Peter says, look at the evidence. Man, look at the evidence. Has God not shown consistently he will judge sin? I mean, he wiped out the entire world in a worldwide flood and saved one family. God will do it, and he will do it again. Why would you think God's going to go soft on that? And listen, here's where I'm coming from. Man, to think, well, you know what? Maybe we're going to get to the end, and God's just going to say, hey, never mind. You know what? It's okay. We don't need to punish sin. Listen, if he's going to do that, why would he have why would he have sent Jesus, his own son, to take the filth of humanity upon himself and to bear the judgment and wrath of God the Father? If God were going to go soft on it, why wouldn't he go soft on it right before the cross? Why would he pour his wrath out on his own son? So, so you're telling me God's going to pour his wrath out on, on the ancient world, on the angels, on, on, on Sodom and Gomorrah, on his own son Jesus, but all of a sudden he's not going to? I think that's silly. So really what we're dealing with is timing, right? Isn't that why we still struggle? Timing, right? So someone hurts you. Man, they just cut you deep. And, 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 and you, you're, you're bothered, you're, you're angry. And, and instead of leaving it to the wrath of God, you can't leave it to the wrath of God. And, and I think the reason a lot of times is, if you ask that person, well, hey, do you know that God's going to put sin? God's going to take care of it? You can just leave it in God's hands? And they're like, I know God's going to take care of it, but I want it done this afternoon, right? I mean, isn't, isn't that really what we're dealing with here? It's a timing issue. It's like, well, I know, I know there's going to be a there's going to be a reckoning for sin, but by golly, it happened to me this morning at eight. I want it dealt with by five. You know, you read stories in the Bible. David, man, David is is offended. He's he he Nabal just criticizes, offends, slights, dishonors him, and and man, he he gets his sword. His men they're charging. They're going to wipe out every male in Nabal's family. And remember, Abigail inter- intervenes. And, and she stops him and she says, hey, David, can't you trust God with this? Don't, don't sin against God. You have no right to sin against God. God will take care of you. Just trust him. David's like, ah, you're right, you're right. And David does not do anything to Nabal. And in 10 days, God kills him, right? And so some of you are like, yeah, I could, I could go with that. I'll wait 10 days, you know. I'll, I'll. Hey, listen, we don't have the right to judge God's timing. And and. and and even if we did, listen, I'm really hesitant to say to God Almighty, God, I think you need to judge all sin immediately. I, I will not say that. You know why I will not say that? I'm a sinner. I mean, really? Like, do you really want God to judge all sin immediately? I mean, you, you better knock it out of the park the rest of your life. But here's what we do. We we demand, we assume, we are presumptuous that God will, will, will give us grace and mercy. And we demand judgment on everybody else. He says, leave it to the wrath of God. You know, it's, it's July what? 20, 24th. July 24th. Now, 
Eight more days of the Proverbs Challenge, the Wisdom Challenge, right? So some of you, man, you've missed the whole month of July. Where'd it go? There's eight more days. You still got, you still got eight days. You got a little over a week to read a chapter of Proverbs a day with some other folks, okay? Your family, your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, your, your whoever, okay? Ask a few questions about it, and then how can we apply? So if you're going to do that, today would be a great day to start. And guess what? Today is July 24th which is, would be Proverbs 24, right? You read the, the day that corresponds with the, the, or the chapter that corresponds with the day. And, and listen to this couple verses in Proverbs 24. This is interesting. Do not rejoice. This is verse 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Now, the reason is fascinating. This, Proverbs is just an interesting book. Lest the Lord see it. See what? See your heart rejoicing at someone else's misfortune. And be displeased and turn his anger away from him. Now, that's a whole other take, by the way. I mean, that, that's like another sermon, okay? But, but do you hear what Proverbs is saying? Proverbs is saying there are times when someone sins and, and, and just the consequences of sin are going to come down on them. But you're over there in the corner saying, kill him, God, kill him, you know? And, and, and you're rejoicing. And it says, God is so displeased with your heart, there's times he's going to take the consequences off of him. Because he's so displeased with your heart. Because you won't just leave it with him. That's interesting. That would be a good discussion today when you read Proverbs 24. So one more point, okay, and then we're done. One more. Verse 21. How can you bless and not curse? How can you not repay evil for evil? Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, now, here's what you need to understand. To hold on to your anger, okay? To, to do the whole campfire thing with your anger. You know, you, know, you know what you do with a campfire, right? It starts to go down, and what do you do? You feed it, right? You stir it up, okay? That's what a lot of people do in their hearts, right? Like someone said something to them, and, and they're angry, and they're mad, and, and, and then they start going on with life, and it starts to kind of be a distant memory, and what do they do? They replay that tape in their mind so that they can feed that and stir it all back up and stay angry, stay angry. Okay, here's what the Bible's saying. You will be overcome with evil, okay? You leave that festering in you, and Satan will have a heyday. 2 Corinthians 2 is one of the great passages on forgiveness. And at the end of that passage, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, as Paul is wrapping that up, he's saying, you better forgive. You better get this right. You better do it in the presence of Christ. And then he says this phrase, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, we are not ignorant of his designs. Basically, Paul is saying, when you leave that in your heart, Satan has an opportunity. He couldn't get at the kids before, but he can get at them now because mom and dad are holding the grudge. He couldn't get at the family before. He can, he can take his shot now. There is no blessing in vengeance. Don't be overcome by evil. Listen to this. This is a favorite of mine. First Peter. By the way, this is either like a really funny thing that God just decided to do, like, a, like a, a funny irony or maybe just a funny coincidence or it's the intentional work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what it is. But it's interesting that this passage I'm about to read to you occurs after a long passage on marriage, okay? So Peter deals with marriage and then he says these words, okay? It's kind of fun, okay? 
He says this in verse 8. Finally, all of you, get this right after the marriage passage. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. And then he says this, almost the exact words of Paul. Do not repay evil for evil. Reviling for reviling. Someone reviles you. Someone, someone says something about you harsh. Do not revile in return. But on the contrary, what does Paul say? Bless. What does Peter say? Bless them. Bless them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Say a good word to them. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. What, what's that saying? God is wanting to do you good. God is wanting to bless you. God is wanting to pour riches into your life through your leaving it to him and you responding in blessing. And then verse 10, next verse, this is my favorite. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Some of you have been in my office. You've had a conflict with someone. I always walk you through this verse because this, in my mind, I think of this every time I get angry. Every time I, I, I'm tempted to hold a grudge, I think of this passage right here. It makes so much sense to me. Because he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, me, 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 me. I want to love life. I want to see good days. I want to wake up in the morning and I want to be happy. I want to. But here's the reality. Some of you do not, okay? Some of you do not want to be happy. You don't want to be blessed. You, 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 you don't want good things. You simply don't want it. You're like, who are you talking about? I'm talking about the person that wants vengeance, that wants to be right, that wants, to, that wants retaliation more than they want to be happy. Because the Bible is saying right there, whoever loves life, see good days, whoever wants that, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Peter's saying the same thing Paul's saying. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, he gets really aggressive here, okay, really specific. Okay, so verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Laugh, rejoice, you know, say, all right, that serves you right. I told you, shouldn't have treated me that way. Now you lost your job. Ha <laughs> ha, now you're, now you're starving. Come up to the church. We've got some maybe out-of-date canned goods that are rancid that we'll give you. No. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So, so actually, actually be aggressive. Not just don't retaliate, but actually go bless them. Oh, this is supernatural stuff, isn't it? Only by the power of the Spirit this happens. Okay? And then, then What's going to happen then? For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what does that mean? Okay, now I think the immediate thing that comes to our mind is, yeah, they're going to go to hell, and, and when they go to hell, my kindness is going to be all the more hot on them, right? <laughs> Hold on. I, I'm not saying that there isn't an implication there, because actually there probably is. There's some Old Testament references that kind of lean in that direction. But here's, here's what I really believe Paul is saying you will bring Holy Spirit conviction on their lives when you return good for evil. Man, you might win them. Win them to the glory of Jesus. Win them to the glory of God. I cannot tell you how that, heart, that, that softens hearts and that blows minds away and that, 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 that tenderizes a conscience when, when you do something supernatural like 
many times, not just to the person, but to, did you see what it said? Where is that at? In uh, verse 17, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Let me tell you, there are people in this country who don't love Jesus, never go to church, don't think a thing about the Bible, and yet when they see somebody, I've seen this on the news, they see somebody who is, who is hurt and harmed, and they respond in kindness, and they're like, okay, there's something to that. Man, I loved what the Christian Academy did the other day in the front page article. Man, that was so cool. You know, they got vandalized and, and staff, Randall. You know, hey, hey, man, we care about these kids. Man, the, the community's scratching their head. What? All right, we're out of time. So let me give you one. Don't shut off yet. I got a good story, okay? One story, and then we're going to be done. So this, this occurs in 2 Kings 6. 2 Kings 6, Okay. Let me, let me give you some background. All right, so the Syrians are coming in, and they're raiding Israelite towns, okay? So just picture it, you know. You're all sitting down to dinner. All of a sudden, there's a war cry. Soldiers come storming through your village, light your house on fire. They kill your father. They take your mother away. They, they, they destroy the town. That's what the Syrians are doing, okay? But all of a sudden, they start being unsuccessful. They're unsuccessful because every time they go to raid someplace, the Israelites aren't there. They, like, knew they were coming, you know, and so the Syrian general is like, okay, we got a spy in our ranks. Someone is telling the Israelites when we're going to come. And, and, the, and, the, and the, Syrian say, the Syrian general says, no, 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 no. You understand, they've got Elijah. They got the prophet on their side. And the prophet, he hears from God when we're going to attack, and he goes and tells them, and then they move. And the Syrian king is like, okay, here's what we got to do. We got to kill that guy. We got to go get Elisha. And so they, 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 they find out where he is, and they ambush him. And they're surrounding his little hut where he is. And then the first thing in the morning, the servant opens the door. He's going out to get some water or something. He walks outside, and the Syrian army is surrounding them. He freaks out. He's like, we're dead. We're doomed. We're, we're, it, this is terrible. You know, we, we have no hope. They're going to kill us. And Elisha says, ah, don't worry about that. He says, God, I pray that you'd open this guy's eyes and let him see the real picture. And God God opened, remember this? This is a great story. God opens his eyes and he sees God's fiery army of angels surrounding the Syrian army, ready to strike. Elijah's got, Elijah looks at it and says, There's more with us than there is with them. We got more. What do you worry about? And look at our guys and look at theirs. And then, cool, I love the story. Elijah prays, and he asks God to blind the minds of the Syrian army, and God does. And so he goes up to him, and he says, hey, who are you looking for, Elisha? Oh, yeah, I know him. Yep, follow me. I'll show you where he is. And and the whole Syrian army follows Elisha into Israelite territory, right to in in the middle of Samaria, you know, right, right with the Israelite army surrounding them, and then this happens. As soon as they entered Samaria, this is verse 20. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they're in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, this guy was not a real gracious guy, okay? My father, shall I strike him down? Shall I strike him? Can I kill him? That's what he's saying. Can I, can I? We're, we're ready. Man, we're gonna butcher him. We'll We'll, we'll make a bunch of orphans and widows in Syria tonight. Here's what Elisha says. He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive 
with your sword and with your bow. In other words, God's the one that gave these to you. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go home. So he prepared a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. They went to their master. Then the best line in the whole story. You ready? And the Syrians did not come, on, come again on raids into the land of Israel. No more. No more. Some of you, you got one of those conflicts in your life, right? You got one of those. Man, you're being raided. You're retaliating. You got hatred and bitterness because someone's coming at you again and again and again. Man, what if today's the day when God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, enables you to do just what Paul is saying here? How can you do it? Only if you, only if you stand in the mercies of God. Let me, let me just tell you this. If, if you don't have the mercy of God, if you're here today, you're just checking out Christianity, but you've never bought in, you've never put your faith in Christ, you can't do this. You just can't. Okay? But those of you who, who've been given great mercy, what if you were today just to say, you know what, I am putting them in God's hands. I'll let him handle their sin. I'll let him handle justice, either on the cross of Christ or in hell, whichever way God determines. But I, I'm leaving it to the wrath of God. And I am going to bless. I'm going to feed. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to give grace. In practical action, I'm going to love these people. You know what would be really cool? Is if that so melted their hearts that it was over. Man, I've seen that. I've seen it. I've had couples in my office who were, and it only took one. Here's the cool thing. It only took one of them. Not always. Sometimes one's just bent on, man, I ain't going to be happy forever. Okay, but, I, but I've seen it happen the other way where, where one will just finally say, you know what? I love you. I, I'm not going to punish. I'm not going to retaliate. I put your sin on the cross. I give it to God. I'm just going to love you. And man, I've seen that other one melt. Like that did it. That heaping coals happened. Their conscience was was melted because they experienced the mercy of God through another person. Man, wouldn't it be cool if that happened today? Father, I just pray for these gathered here today. God, it's, it's my prayer that somebody, maybe, maybe many people would leave here today and that they would leave a burden here, that they would leave unforgiveness, that they would leave bitterness, that they would leave holding on to someone's sin against them, that they'd just leave that here. That they'd be able just to put it in your hands this morning and trust you, trust the wrath of God. You, you can deal with it however you want, but we trust you. That they might walk out of here determined to, to bless and to receive a blessing. God, give faith, God, for that to happen today. In Jesus' name.